the CGA Tour, a podcast unlike any other. Welcome back to the latest episode of the CGA Tour. As always here, I'm your host, Calvin Alexander, bringing to you a uh, great podcast with Brian Schroll tonight, former Oklahoma State student as well, but now we're both Oklahoma State alums, sports media, shout out to the program. Um, want to talk through Oklahoma State hoops, Oklahoma State's Big 12 schedule that just got released football-wise, and of course, recap the Super Bowl from last night. So... I got to say, my Super Bowl experience was a little odd. I ended up going to Glendale to be around the Super Bowl, but didn't go in. Um, Guy Fieri's tailgate was nice. It was fun. It was great. Um, I will say uh, shout out to Austin McCarthick, former Big 12 Greek guy and Oklahoma State student who got us in. But, Troy, what are your initial takeaways from, from Super Bowl 57? Well, first off, it was like, I mean, it's just a great sports weekend. And I think you probably got the best experience of it getting to go to one of the most fun golf tournaments waste management phoenix open kind of just the craziest golf tournament you're ever going to go to with i mean there's like no rules there was guys running on the course i mean people making the the cup snakes like it uh, that's just a great tournament i would say um it it makes it it quickly went from being Awesome tournament. Can't wait to come back here every single year to also on the other side of this, never bring in a kid, never bring in a kid, never bring in anyone under 21. The dads who had strollers who were just like, oh, excuse us. And I'm like, you're rolling your stroller over seven to 12 empty Bud Lights. So good call. Oh, there's some pocket shots there. Wheels are getting stuck on there with the stroller. Not great. I would say it would make if we did like a draft of places not to bring your kids like like single or singular events right and i'm saying kids like i i, I want to go like under 21 you're under 21 here just to like it's a big classification because kids like yeah don't bring your five-year-old to the super bowl but bring your 18 year old to the super bowl they'll be sick mm-hmm. i would say if you're under 21 absolutely positively 110 do not go to the waste management open because one there are enough there are enough private cops or un- undercover cops walking around so if you looked like you were under 21 you could you could have got id'd you know oh. could have got minor public intoxication there were enough or maybe just don't go saturday when it's like slam packed and clearly that'd be the day to go and also the day for that type of mischief to happen and take place and mischief's the wrong word i mean it is technically a crime but you know and don't, don't go don't super go. bowl week in the same spot yeah probably i'll like just skip that waste management open entirely just be like you know what uh I will say the fact that like Arizona state is so close and Arizona state is known widely across the entire nation as being a party school. This just got to help them out. You know? It, I mean, it, it literally just, I mean, the T, CBS does a good job of showing it looks like a party the whole time. And that is definitely a place you don't want to go. If you're under 21, especially like set aside, don't bring a kid that's in a stroller to a golf tournament at all. Like there's a lot oh. of walking you got to do. Unless you're literally going to pick a place and sit there all day. You're going to do a lot of walking. You don't want to be pushing the stroller. The kid's going to get bored. There's not a whole lot for them to do because golf isn't the the fastest sport. <laughs> and then on top of that, don't go to the Waste Management Phoenix Open, especially if you're paying for someone to then have to push them around and not like 
really enjoy it. Yeah, it, no. I, I could say there's a lot of fun to be had unless you bring in a kid. That that that'd be the thing. Like I'm gonna because it's like shoulder to shoulder at some parts, especially in the places you want to be. That's just not that's not a friendly zone for any motorized vehicle or non motorized vehicle of any type. I mean that is the like there was a guy who was in a um is in one of those like grocery store kind of like um scooters you know like clearly he has you know physically handicapped a little bit yeah I felt but I felt horrible for him because like. He can't see over anyone. He can't see through anyone. He's just got to go like a mile an hour, if that, the entire time. So anyways, yeah. Waste Mansion Open, say that's an experience for myself or you, you know, going. But uh, it's a specific target, like, group of people that are going to have a black, like, the most fun ever at a golf event. And then there's a wide range of people where it's like, well, you know what, like, you know, if you're over 60... Eh, maybe maybe think twice. Maybe think twice, yeah. or plan the day out. Plan the day out just a little bit. Golf like purists aren't gonna enjoy that. There are a lot of other tournaments that, if you're a real strict golf purist, you like kind of the the properness of the sport. That is the one tournament you do not want to go to. You go go like if you can get tickets to the Masters, it is the exact opposite. No phones allowed at Augusta. I mean, it is hush, like hush, hush. You are silent every shot. Waste management, they want you to be loud. It, it just, that's not the place. Not, yeah, not the place. But my Saturday was great. Saturday night was great. Um, I got to sleep a lot this week, you know, make up for it. So it's a good time. But go ahead. The, I was going to say the Super Bowl then just like kept it going with how great a game that was. And that was just a perfect follow-up to your Saturday then. It was a great, entertaining Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. I I got to say, as Super Bowls go, last year's was 37 points scored total. Yesterday's, one team scored 38 points right in the Chiefs. So, high score in action. There was a turnover, you know, by Jalen Hurts. So, granted, there was some defense being played, you know, and stuff. There was not some defense being played for a lot of the game, though, because Grand the the over hit, right? It went over 70. So, and then the same aspect here, like, great game, ton of points scored throughout, and a close game all the way until the end. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like there's two ways to think about this game. There's a way of thinking, man, this one play in the game really took down the whole game of, all right, this penalty being called right here of holding, okay, because then that that gave the Chiefs the game like right there with like two minutes left, right? But then you think about it and you can go, well, you know what? Football games are 15-minute quarters and the rest of the 58 minutes of the game was pretty spectacular where the Eagles could have had a chance to put them away earlier. They're up 10 and a half. And the fact that you couldn't, couldn't hold on to a 10-point lead, I think they held the Chiefs to under 130 yards in the first half. Like, there's just... um. There's more, there's more questions I have as far as like how the Eagles fell off so badly or how the Chiefs redid their offense at halftime than anything else. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to be fixated on one holding call as like taken away from like the excitement of the game. I, I saw today that Bradbury even admitted that he did hold on that play. And sometimes, you know, there's holding pretty much on every play in college in the NFL. It's whether it's egregious enough that it gets called or whatnot. But yeah, that I mean, 
that one play does not define that game. Just two drives before, the Eagles punted and let the Chiefs return it to the six-yard line. It was like a 65-yard punt return. If you don't allow that, if you tackle them, and then you actually get to play defense and make the Chiefs drive, maybe you stop them, they don't take the lead, like or they don't extend their lead to eight. That's a That was a huge play, I think, because it just – the momentum was just all on Kansas City at that point. You had just stopped them on defense, and now you you pretty much you're guaranteed to score at least three. You're starting at the six yard line. They had yeah. three plays, and they were in, and it's an eight point game. And yeah, Philly Philly still scored and got the two point conversion and tied it. But I mean, that was just such a momentum swing. And I mean, the Chiefs that second half, like props to Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy because. I mean, they just had the game plan for the second half. That whatever they saw during the first 30 minutes that they they knew that they can then exploit for the second half. I mean, that's why they're Andy Reid's one of the best head coaches and why Eric Bieniemy continually gets head coaching interviews and should be a head coach because he is one of the best offensive coordinators. about that why do you think he do you think he just really is waiting for that great fit as far as like a head coach news? like do you think he's getting offers or do you think it's kind of oh maybe he's a product of the reed you know kind of system right because we know reed's a great great offense well yeah i think it, i think there's definitely part of that is people don't know how much is him and how much is andy reed um but also if you are him like you're in this great system. You have a franchise all-time quarterback in Mahomes. You're not just going to leave for anything. You, you, I mean, there are plenty jobs, plenty of jobs up. I don't think he would want to go be the Cardinals head coach right now. Like there, that is a mess in Arizona. Why, why leave a team that has a chance to be in the Super Bowl every year to go maybe get like two or three years? Hopefully, you can turn it around. And but I mean, it's just there's so much a mess there that maybe it's just too attractive to stay in Kansas City. Yeah, I got to think if you're if you're able to go to Houston this offseason, right, you get to draft a quarterback, you get one of the I mean, do they have the first or I think they have the second overall pick if I have that right. Um, yep. Maybe they have the first and they get to, you know, you get to pick your quarterback, you get to get in the system, et cetera. That that's on one hand, like a very intriguing aspect. But on the other hand, Houston has no real success to talk about. Um, the division seems pretty easy because the Jaguars got in with like a game over 500 or two. So it's not, you know, not like it's a crazy hard division, but if you're Eric Bieniemy, why not wait around for the perfect opportunity? Maybe it's taken over for Andy Reid in three years. Right. So you know, and then, then having Patrick Mahomes still, you know, being under 30 and going there, rolling it out. So the the other couple things from the Super Bowl is, of course, like, did did anyone know Rihanna was pregnant before the Super Bowl? Is that just one announcement, like, didn't get leaked the entire time? She's having, that was kind of cool. Usually that stuff gets leaked, right? Usually, like, we would know about that, like, kind of hard to hide. If you're, like, I don't know, um, doing, like, a rehearsal before the Super Bowl hard to do i would think someone would yeah usually 
Yeah, usually it's on Twitter. Someone tweets a picture or video or yeah. something, and it, I mean, it just gets blown up through Twitter and makes its way to Instagram and whatnot. Um, I think, I think that was a great halftime. 29 minutes to help Kansas City figure out their offense and, uh, hear distant Rihanna jams in the, in the background. Um, yeah, I think she killed it. Uh, all of them throwback jams. I, there were songs that I was like, I think I remember when I first heard this, whether it was junior high or high school or whenever. She, like, there have been some bad ones. Last year was interesting just because of kind of how they did it with the four different, with Snoop and Eminem and all them. But, I mean, we kept waiting. I was watching with my wife, and we just kept waiting, like, when is she going to bring out a guest star? When is kind of the big spectacle thing going to happen? It didn't, but it didn't really need it. She could carry the stage by herself and great. Good job to her. Yeah. Well, all right. So my, my last Super Bowl ish question here is, and I think it's a pretty easy one, but maybe not. Which team is an easier time repeating chiefs or Eagles getting back to the same spot next year. You're back to the Super Bowl. I mean, I think the Chiefs have a harder road to it. I mean, they had a hard road this year. Buffalo and Cincinnati aren't going anywhere. They still got Joe Burrow and Jamar. Still got Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. Other teams look like they're getting better. Trevor Lawrence and the Jags are going to have another year. They're getting Calvin Ridley, so he'll have weapons. The Jets were a good team. They'll get Brees Hall back from injury. The AFC is not easy. And so I think they have the best chance because they have the best quarterback. Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL, but they have a harder road to get there. And their division was supposed to be one of the best divisions in the league this year, but Raiders, the Chargers, I mean, it kind of Denver. What, I mean, who knows what's going on in Denver with Sean Payton coming in. So there's a lot that the Chiefs will have to go through to get back there. Whereas the Eagles, NFC East was good this year. Is it going to be next year? Who knows? That, that that division every year is just a a mess. So they, I mean, they have the pieces. If as long as they don't lose like to retirement, some of their key guys, they have a great chance of getting back to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I my money would be the Eagles have an easier road to get out of their own division. Our, um just because I think the Chargers are only going to get better. You know, I mean, all the Chargers wide receivers are not going to be injured for most of the season again, you would think. All the Chargers offensive line, defensive line, and et cetera, wouldn't be injured again for a second season in a row, you would think. But then again, who knows? You figure the Raiders getting a new quarterback. We'll see. TBD, but Josh McDaniels is going to figure something out there or get fired. Who knows? But then the Broncos, I just can't think Russell Wilson will still be this bad next year. It just would be such a dramatic drop off from one season to the other. And it would be a true like, oh, OK, so he was a product of the Pete Carroll and Seahawks system, which I don't think he wants to be whatsoever because his legacy is already just so corny at this point. I mean, that's the best way to say it, I believe. Then the rest of the AFC, like you're saying, so tough to get out of the, just the playoffs, right? That Bengals game could have gone either way. It was all the way down to the last play. Um, you know, and, and the Bills games are always going to be tough for Kansas City. But they overcame a lot of demons. You know, they beat the Chiefs. They excuse me. They beat Kansas. They beat um, Kansas City. Beat the Bengals. 
there uh, for the first time in the playoffs in like Mahomes' era. One and three now, which is weird to say the Chiefs do not have a winning record against another team in the playoffs and in the regular season with Mahomes. But the Eagles, I'm not going to pass over it just because their own division had three. I mean, three teams out of that division made the playoffs. Cowboys, Giants. Giants have the reigning coach of the year coming back. You figure they'd bring back Daniel Jones and in his second year probably figure out a little bit more things. I don't know where the Barkley contract stands necessarily, but figure he's either coming back or they'd figure something out. Dak and the Cowboys is the very interesting deal here because new offense is Colin Moore's gone. And there's a lot just, okay, what are they going to, what are they going to do? Get rework Zeke's contract, redo whatever. So a lot of stuff up in the air in that whole division, Washington commanders. I don't even know what their plan is at quarterback period. Uh, seems like they don't either. And then the rest of the NFC is where I'd be worried about, okay, it'd be a tough, tough road to get back. But the Niners, they're starting over from a completely just, what are we doing at quarterback again? You know, is Purdy the guy for forever? That was the storyline before. But maybe this UCL injury means that he's out for a couple of games to start next season even. Who knows? And then, okay, they have Trey Lance. He should be back, but also... He has a Liz Frank injury, from my understanding, which is the same injury that's kept out. Um, you know, I know it's a different sport, but uh, Thunder basketball center Chet Holmgren for more than a year. So it'd just be interesting to see when Trey Lance comes back, too, because Trey Lance didn't hurt it like week one. I think it was like week two or three, but still, he could not be ready to go start the season next year either. They're not bringing back Lamar as they said. And I think that's the main team in the NFC that I'm worried about if I'm the Eagles is like, okay, how can we beat the Niners? How can we do better than them? And I just, I think the Eagles have an easier roadmap back. Also, they're not, they're not bad on offense. They have a lot of free agents, a lot of restricted free agents they need to bring back, resign, but they have two first round draft picks. They have their own and they have the 10th pick. And I think, I think the Eagles will be good for a while. No one figured out really how to stop Jalen Hurts. I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, like, the Chiefs really didn't figure out how to stop him. They just basically just had to outscore him. They had to get some couple stops here and there to outscore him. And so, because Jalen Hurts was figured out in college. It was like, all right, he's not that accurate. And then that passed to Dallas Goddard last night, right over Sneed's arms, the corner for the Chiefs, was just beautiful. Goddard did bring it down. I think that was a catch. And it was just an amazing catch at the end of the day. But Hurts put it to him in the perfect spot for him to catch it there. and that. Really impressed me on like, okay, Hurts is accurate enough to really do do some really, really good, um, do a really, really good job with this team. So, yeah, I mean, he put up MVP type stats. I don't necessarily think that's going to go away in year two just because teams have an offseason to look at him, you know. Um, and their head coaches, their head coaches are offensive, like their offensive coordinators, like Sirianni is like known for his offensive skills. I know they are losing their offensive coordinator to be the head coach of the Colts, but then again, they're promoting their. You know, they're promoting their quarterbacks coach to be offensive coordinator. They're keeping stuff in-house. Figured that the Eagles kind of got this, like, a little bit easier pass to get back. Not necessarily saying they will. I'd still put my money on the Chiefs just because they've done it previously. They've done it three out of the last four years. They got back to the Super Bowl. But e- Eagles seem like they have an easier path. Um, yeah. well, with that being said here, do you want to talk some Oklahoma State basketball? Oklahoma State this Saturday swept the Iowa State Cyclones in men's and women's basketball, if I have that right. But definitely in men's for sure. Went to Hillsdale Coliseum, left giving Iowa State their first loss of the season at home. 
and now they're 12 and one at home on the season. So shout out to the Cowboys. A lot of great things from the game there, but what did you take away immediately? This Cowboys team has progressed so much from even the first Big 12 game when they were up 15 against Kansas at Fog Allen and then gave it away. And it was a two-point loss that there was questions about the last play and if it should have been a foul or not. But that second half against Kansas, they just looked inept. And the first half against Kansas, it was pretty much just Kansas didn't know how to play basketball in that first half. They have grown a lot, grown especially from the non-conference. This team is a tournament team, and they actually have the makings to make a run because they play some fantastic defense, which always helps in the tournament, and they are starting to shoot the three. Beginning of the year, couldn't really shoot the three. Overall, in the season, they shoot 32% from behind the arc. But in this stretch, last eight games, since we won, uh, since OSU won at home on that court behind you at Gallagher-Iba against OU, they've gone 7-1, and one, um, and their only loss was to Texas. One of those games was a non-conference against Ole Miss, but they've been on a tear, and it's because for the most part, except for a couple outliers, they're shooting the three and playing defense. And it helps that you have two very good bigs in Caleb Boone and Musa Cisse. So uh, you put it all together and imagine what this team would be if they had Avery Anderson still. Bryce Thompson is stepping up. John Michael Wright stepping up. It's really just, it is a team effort. Yeah, John Michael Wright played 38 minutes in the game on Saturday, really stepped up, filled that Avery Anderson void. That would have been, yeah, that was left there from him, basically. I mean, he's, he's done for the season from what it seems like. Maybe he could come back deep in the tournament or something, but I don't think that's really happening for everything he's posted on social media as well and has said thanks to the program. What's what's awesome to me and just super impressive overall is John Michael Wright is, he was 50% from three, you know, in an away game, right, in at Iowa State, three of six from three. Field goal-wise, Caleb Asbury was, you know, 5-5 five of five from the stripe, and John Michael Wright was 4-4 four four from the stripe. But we're, we're not having a bunch of unexpected things happen. Like, when teams win a bunch of games in a row, it's like, oh, well, their three-point shooting just went off the chart. They shot, like, 60% from three. Like, when OU beat Alabama at home, 93-something, they shot 60% from three. Then we're going to play them a couple days later. And the back of my mind was like, man, this is either one or two things. Either this is going to be a really grinded out game that OU brings us kind of, you know, kind of like into the trenches. That's what we like to do anyways. We like to play solid defense and we're able to like kind of muscle out a win or their shooting comes down to earth and we win, period. I was like, I feel good either way because you don't you don't beat Alabama like that, the number two team in the country, and then follow it up with another incredible win against your in-state rival, an opponent that, let's be honest here, has had your number recently, you know, in the past couple of years. And Boyne's record in Bedlam, his record against Iowa State, his record even against KU is pretty darn good. I I had no idea until today that uh, Eddie Sutton never won a game in Lawrence as Oklahoma State's head coach. Like, that, that is one heck of a stat. I cannot believe 
Eddie Sutton never did, but Travis Ford, I think Brad Underwood did in his one mm-hmm. season, but maybe. Um, and then, of course, Boynton's won a couple. Granted, not this year, but tomorrow night is, is the game against KU. You know, I like to think Bill Self just likes to give one back to his alma mater every so often. Why not? Yeah, um, that it's funny. That OU game in Norman is one of the few outliers in that stretch that I was talking about. Oh, you shot 22% from three in that game. OSU only shot 25%. So they're not winning games if they shoot under their season average of 32%, except for that game. And then the only other one is the Tech win at home. Just recently, they shot 22% from three. But it's a home game. You can kind of get away with some bad play. And they kind of got out to a lead and then – Tech made it close, but that was a lot of just defense and and points in the paint on that one. This team just they have the makings to actually make a run, and I think we'll see kind of when the when bracketology guys put out their new stuff. Um, Lenardi actually might have put one out today that I didn't look at. Um, they have so many opportunities the rest of this season. Six more games; they're all six quad one opportunities. It starts Tuesday at home against Kansas, but all six games, quad one opportunities. They're four and six in quad one right now, seven and eight in the first two quadrants. So, yeah, there's there's losses there. But the country knows that the Big 12 is the is the toughest conference. Ken Palm says Big 12 is the hardest conference. So you're going to get losses. You go 500 in Big 12 play. That I mean, that's a tournament team right there. There's too many good teams to not go to go 500 and not get in. I mean, o, OSU might be the seventh or eighth team in the tournament, depending on how the the final six games go. But 80 percent of the league is going to go to the tournament, probably. That's there's so many good teams, so many great opportunities for this OSU team. If they can continue this, I mean, they're getting hot at the right time. And it'll be very interesting if they go, even if they go three and three in the final six games and they get like, what, an eight, nine seed. I don't love that. I think I would rather be a seven or 10 seed play the two in the second round. Um, But they'd be dangerous. (laughs) They'd be dangerous, especially if they can shoot 40% from three, not anything crazy. Don't have to do anything crazy, but 40% and you play some defense. I was very not in on this team after non-conference with some lot some of the just weird losses to like Virginia Tech and UCF, Southern Illinois. But man, they have turned turned it around, and they are exciting. They are very exciting. Yeah, I looked up Joe Lenardi. So his latest bracketology. We're going to recording this Monday, uh, February thirteenth, Monday night. So he might well pull one out first thing tomorrow but his latest bracketology is from the 10th and it has Oklahoma State as one of the teams of the last four buys since that game we have only gone to the number 11th at the time ranked team in the country to their place and beat them by eight or 12 I think eight and eight we have a chance to you know beat the ninth ranked team in the country at our own place tomorrow night and I will say Iowa State right now is ranked 19th of the country. So it's not like they, it's not like we beat them and they fell all the way out of the rankings or something like that, where it's a shallow win. It wasn't. Um, Iowa State, they've previously beaten, 
a couple of different teams in the country that are really good. I believe they've beaten KU or maybe it was K-State. Um, they're, they're really – like, Iowa State's really good. The whole Big 12, though, as you're saying, is really good. 80% of the – of the basically, of the entire conference might get in. But definitely, if we're talking seven to eight teams out of a 10-team league, that's that's where you want to be at. You want to be playing Big 12 basketball because it's going to prepare you for March, right? Like, if we can take down KU tomorrow night, I figure Gallagher has got to be rocking, got to be making a lot of noise. Then all of a sudden, it's, wait a second, maybe this team could slip to be a seventh seed. Maybe it could be a sixth seed, you know, kind of slip, you know, slip in there a little bit higher, right? Because earlier, I was hoping we'd get to 17 wins. Honestly, I was like, man, if we can only get to 17 wins, we should have a chance at the tourney. 17 wins, do something Big 12 tournament would be great. We've got 16 wins right now. We're 16 and nine, and they're still. Plenty of games left to go. Yeah, more than a handful. So I think we're in a really, really good spot. And we're doing it when we don't even have amazing three-point you know, games or amazing free-throw games. It does help that Iowa State shot an abysmal from the stripe, 9 of 19, when we played against them. I guess Musisei's presence, just being that close to the basket, is really intimidating. Who knows? But we shot 70% from the free-throw line. Like, we still missed six free throws and got away with the win. We still shot 36.4% from three and still got away with the win. We didn't have to do anything crazy. We're 40%, 47% from the field against Iowa State. And Iowa State, all their numbers are worse than ours. Granted, that's that's how you win. But we took the same amount of three-point shots. We got out-rebounded by 13 rebounds, and we still won the game. What, what's what's more impressive, I guess, at the end of the day is, and excuse me, it's Iowa State put up 13 more shots in the game than we did. And we still won by eight. So if you're thinking about it from that perspective of like, okay, hang on a second. So Iowa State, how do we beat them? Oh, well, we just played amazing defense. That's really the only way I can chalk it up to. Played amazing defense, stayed, stayed grounded into like what we're doing best, just kept doing it even a little bit better. We're not changing up what we're doing. It's, we're not no one went just, oh, my gosh, can you believe that Bryce Thompson went 6-6 six six from three or something? No, he went 2-6. He had a decent night. He's 5-12 from the field and played 34 minutes. Like, now one guy on our team besides John Michael Wright really just went off and went crazy. And John Michael Wright tied his season high with 19 points. So he's done it before. That's not that unexpected either. And he played a lot more minutes because of Avery Anderson being out too. So, yeah, this this team, I I really like looking at at numbers. There's a lot of numbers in college basketball that can help you kind of discern and and figure out what are what do these mean? What do these games mean? OSU is sixth in adjusted defense in the country. Sixth. That they're that that's crazy that a team that at one point looked like they didn't have a chance of making the NIT maybe is that good. Granted, their offense, 119th in adjusted offense. But if you're holding teams to 60, 65 points, and all you got to do is get to 65, 70 points, that's not bad. The only problem is you run up against a team that is just lights out that night from three and they can't miss. Yeah, it, it's going to be tough because you're not going to keep up with other teams. That is their thing is they are just going to have to play solid defense and not let any team get too hot on them 
to where they're trying to catch up because it's going to be tough when a lot of your scoring comes from in the paint or drive and kick stuff like that. It, you don't have playmakers that are just going to just step back and just go eight of 12 from three. So it's once you get to the tournament, it's all, it's so much matchup based. You just can't let a team get hot. You got to play defense, but there's a lot of, a lot of, numbers that are backing up how good OSU has been. They are top 27 in the three different predictive metrics, Bart Torvik, Ken Palm, and Sagarin, all top 27. And then their net ranking, which is what the committee really looks at to determine, that's how you determine like quad one, quad two opportunities. They're now in the top 30, which means OSU is now a quad one opportunity when they go on the road for any other team. So they're right in the mix with all the other Big 12 teams on, well, it's good if OSU wins, but if the other team wins, it's also good for their resume. So now they are right, right in the mix with all these other really good Big 12 teams. I did not expect that earlier on in the year. Um, but I think, I mean, Musa Sise is a difference maker. And Caleb Boone is playing great. And I, it, yeah, I, this team has shocked me and I am really excited to see um, this next six games. I, I would not have given them a chance to beat Candace at home, but I think they do have a chance. Granted, you, you could listen to this on Wednesday and, oh, she gets blown out and I, I sound dumb, but I think they have a chance. Def, definitely a good chance. A much better chance than what I've thought earlier in the season, for sure. I mean, there there were definitely a group of people on social media. I mean, I'm not trying to generalize it, generalize it too well to make it make sense. But there were people calling for Boynton's head. Be like, hey, you know what? Like, you know, fire Boynton. How many times can we have this happen, et cetera? What do you got to do? And one thing that I've seen recently uh, that's – that's really made an impact on my thinking of how Boynton is as a coach and how good he is or how bad he is, et cetera, is that he's a really, really good coach when it comes to February, like specifically a really good coach when it comes to March, like actually down the stretch, whenever the team starts playing all together, whenever the transfers actually have a chance to kind of fit into a mold and gel and guys fit in, whenever we have guys like CSA missed several games earlier this year with an ankle injury. And it was just an ongoing deal of like, will he be back? Will he not? He's in warm-ups. He's not, right? We had, um, wait, Caleb Asbury missed games earlier this season as well, too. But it just seems like whenever our guys can basically just figure it out, you know, form that team that is really cohesive and brings it all together, then, okay, then we gel and we're good to go. And we're playing like this. Because earlier in the season, it was like, ah, you know what? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if this team's got it. When you score 46 points, I'm going to ask questions. Always me questions going to be asked. You know, I know it's Texas, but it was at home. Like, you should never be scoring 46 points on your own home court and the other team not be scoring only 48, right? Like, the Texas game there, they 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 scored 56. It's not the, like they had a crazy offensive night or anything. But then again, like, you just – you just got to score more points. There's just got to be better offense drawn up. I would keep coming back to that. Southern Illinois, we only scored 60. Like, it wasn't like that that game was won because they scored 83 or something crazy out of the blue. So, okay, what are we doing? 
And then, as you said, seven and one. I think we're. I think we've won seven out of the last eight. Right? We're kind of mm-hmm. saying the same thing there. It's the exact same stat. It just matters how you want to say it. And we're having guys step up individually each night. We haven't had the exact same top score in high amount of points on our team um, in back-to-back games since um, January 10th. It's for more than a month now. And that goes to show that we're distributing the ball well. Guys are getting hot up and down. It's not one guy just taking it over. And honestly, with Avery Anderson being out, I don't think it's a blessing at all because you always need depth. You always need guards. You always need the best best guys on the court at all times. But if I'm looking at it through, you know, rose-tinted glasses and trying to really put the best perspective here, it's, all right, well, John Michael Wright just has to play more minutes now, and he's much more of a guy who's going to be controlled with the ball, bringing down the court. He doesn't play as good transition offense or defense as Avery. He just really can't keep up. But he's much more a guy who will control the pace of the game. And I think that's the way Boyne likes to play anyways. And it's going to lead to some positive and some negatives for sure. I'd rather have Avery, of course. But if I'm really trying to look at this glass half full, okay, you know what? Like, this is how we'd win in the Big 12, is by slowing the pace down, playing really, really good defense, and then hitting some shots in some key moments. Like the Iowa State game, Washington Saturday, I, I didn't go, oh, man, I think we're completely out of it. I went, ah, I think they're coming back. I think they're coming back. But that was it. It wasn't, oh, my gosh, all right. Oh, that's, oh, that's it. Yeah, I mean, they tied us a couple times, and I was still like, you know what? I think we still got a little momentum because we mm-hmm. answer right back every time. We'd be right there. Yeah, um, this team, 156th in adjusted tempo, they don't even try to run much off of turnovers. They they are very content with – they will set up their half-court offense let it let it go through its motions, get it down to, to Musa, get it down to Caleb, kick it out, do, do what they, they want to do. Um, and that's okay. That kind of lends it to being a lower scoring game. And they play good enough defense that if it's a lower scoring game and all you got to, I mean, Iowa State against them this year has not even gotten to 60 points yet. It's, a great opportunity to win a game. If all you got to do is score 60 points, that's not asking a whole lot for a college basketball team. So I think that's huge slowing the pace down. Um, I just, I just looked this up. So to kind of go with the Mike Boynton need some time. It also helps when a guy comes back. Musa Cisse comes back in that OU game, only played two minutes, but it was his first game back after injury. And they've gone seven and one, or they've gone six and one, I guess, since then. Well, no, seven and one. Yeah, they played eight games. They the only loss was the the Texas loss on the road. Um, he must be the most important player if we're really looking at it. That they've gone on this run since he's come back, and now it's not all on Caleb Boone to be that one big guy. Musa kind of it's a tag team down there and most teams aren't going to have two big men that can play that well in the paint. They're a lot more guard centric. So maybe that's an advantage that the pokes have. Um, When they get to the tournament, they play a team that really doesn't have two big men that can stop them. And they score 40 points in the paint. (laughs) That that's a points in the paint 
is a very interesting statistic if you can't play defense against it. <laughs> yeah, the the points in the paint, the fact that really so many teams now play basketball just like you'd see in the NBA, where it's catch and shoot threes, cut to the basket, catch and shoot threes, cut to the basket, grabs rebounds, toss it back out. We're one of the few teams I want to say in the NCAA that doesn't do that. that that's not our staple. We're going to have Bryce Thompson hit a pull-up jumper, you know, from the free throw line and be that be that clutch at it, be smooth as silk with it. But that's going to be our MO as a team, is play really good defense and hit really good shots and play team basketball, but really use our bigs to get the ball down low and to beat the guys up inside. You know what's really hard to do in basketball is prepare to play a guy who's seven feet tall, especially a guy who can move as well as Musa Sise, because they don't exist. I mean, how many times have you ever played pickup basketball and gone, man, this guy's just as tall as I am? You and I are around the same height. I think you're a little bit taller than I am. But at the end of the day, I'm not playing against a bunch of other guys who are like 6'2", 6'3". Generally playing against guys who are either 6'5", 6'6", or are six feet tall, right? So I've got like a little bit of size. But when I play against a guy who's like 6'6", I'm like, hopefully I never play him again because the only chance I'm going to have to practice against this guy is right here, right now. Never going to see him again, probably. And when I do see him again, I'm like, this guy, I can't figure it out because he's so freaking tall. Every shot that I normally would try doesn't work at all because he's taller than I am by a good margin, right? I mean, three to four inches if I'm 6'2", 6'3", is not a small amount. And at the end of the day, that's what Musa Cisse has over so many of our opponents. And Caleb Boone, he's so good with both hands, driving lane up to the basket, has such a good feel for the game. That's one of those where... You could combine two players and make them into one. Caleb Boone's offensive touch and his touch with the ball in his hands and Musisi's ability to absolutely just be an athletic, me- I mean, God amongst men. You could combine both those guys. You'd have a number one overall draft pick, I feel like, at the end of the day, because they are both so good at those things they do. And I'm so happy both of them are on the team because we dominate inside the paint. The teams want to bring it down low, then they've got to really get lucky that we have some foul trouble. And it's nice two saying that we have two of them because then when one gets in foul trouble it's like all right cool let's just run the other play with the other guy instead it's a nice luxury to have here which i we don't usually get to say i mean i'm used to like the marcus smart teams where it's like oh michael cobbins who's barely six eight maybe six eight is playing center oh lebrian nash is playing center like maybe six eight maybe six nine but he's definitely more of a wing as just to how he wants to play and he's playing center now it's like no, we have a guy who was a five-star recruit coming out of high school who's seven foot one, who's playing center. And the other guy who plays center for us is a guy who's been on the roster for, I think, now, is this Caleb's fourth year? Is he, a, like, a true senior, I want to say? I'll look it up here to make sure. Yeah. But he's got such experience and such a good feel for the ball and his, you know, ball in his hands into the basket. Caleb Boone taking a good shot, making a good attempt, you know? At the end of the day, I'm, I am I think we really are, like, blessed to have this team. But it's also very interesting because we've seen the bad side of this team. I don't necessarily think that that's just gone because you can play great for six games in a row and then have one bad game and be like, ah, oh, crap, all the skeletons are back. But at the end of the day, I feel really good when you get to play a team that you shouldn't shouldn't beat. I, we, I don't know if we're favorite against KU tonight or not. Right or not, but KU coming into Gallagher-Iva, it seems like they typically lose these games. I don't want to get ahead of myself. 
not trying to jinx anything, but this is a game where I feel like we really do have a chance. Also, just want to throw out there, we're currently fourth in the stands in the Big 12. We're two games back with six games left. Not going to say we're going to win the Big 12, but that's not where I thought we'd be. That's not where I thought we'd be, you know, one month ago. One month ago, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, can you imagine if we get over 500? And now we're mm-hmm. two games over 500 at least. Go show you how competitive the whole conference is. Yeah, it that is it, it crazy. I don't think they're going to be able to catch them just because of the schedule. I mean, you got to play Texas or Kansas. You go on the road to TCU. That'll kind of depend on if Mike Miles is back. If he's not, then that's a great opportunity to win at TCU. Um, but it's still going to be a really tough game. I mean, they they've shown that even without Miles, they're a good team. Then you got to go to a tough Morgantown, and then you're home against K State, who is also a really good team. Then you're home against Baylor, and you end it on the road at Tech. So, yeah, there's definitely opportunity that they could be right there if Texas kind of takes a, a couple losses that they're fighting for the regular season title. Um, I don't expect that, but there's a chance. To continue our little thought experiment about our two twin towers that are running uh, the paint, right now Joe Lenardi has Oklahoma State as a 10 seed to facing Providence in the first round. So Providence really only plays two forwards, like actual minutes. They got one forward, Clifton Moore, who they play 14 minutes a game. He is 6'11". Their other two forwards that they play 27 and 34 minutes a game are 6'8 and 6'7". So unless they give the guy who is averaging five points and three and a half rebounds a game, a lot more minutes to try to handle Cisse or Caleb Boone, you're going to have six, seven, six, eight guys going up against a seven foot Musa Cisse. I'm no scientist, but that's, that's not close. That's a bit of a height difference. So not to say that your Oklahoma state will definitely face Providence, but to your point, not a lot of teams have guys that height that will be able to play good defense without fouling. You're going to get people in foul trouble easily because they're going to try to be defending against these tall guys that they don't play in practice. They don't have to face in their conference play very much. So it's, it's going to be very interesting. It's all going to be matchup based and you're right. This team definitely has demons and we've seen them i.e. that Texas game that they scored 46 points. But against Kansas tomorrow, they're a two-point underdog at home. If they can play defense well enough to slow down a really, really good Jalen Wilson, keep Grady Dick from lighting it up from three, that might be enough just right there to keep you in the game and make some clutch shots that – now Bryce Thompson and John Michael Wright and other guys have shown that they can do. They can make some clutch clutch moments, and that, that might be enough to beat Kansas. And then what do you know it? That's another quad one win, five and six in quadrant one. Not a, not a ton of teams have five quad one wins. So it, it, that's, it's a benefit and a curse to the Big 12 schedule is you get a lot of opportunities – to really make a name for yourself and just boost up that resume. But you got to play some really, really good teams every game. 
Yeah, the other thing I'd say here is that to add to our possible dominance here down the stretch, I'm not trying to get into March necessarily because we'll see where we're at, you know, after the Big 12 tournament, et cetera, as well, too. But every single player that we have on this team that sees valuable minutes, I'm saying more than 12 minutes a game, basically I'm just cutting off, you know, our guard Williams, who's a freshman, Keon Williams, I think I say his name. Basically, besides him, every single guy on our team is a junior or senior. So it speaks to the experience we have on the roster, the experience we have going, you know, kind of on this stretch run here, the final six games. There's three more home games, three more away games. You know, senior night is uh, against Baylor on a Monday. Could not think of a spookier night to play if you're Baylor coming into Galgariba, right? Oh, it's an 8 o'clock tip. I'm getting way too ahead of myself because tomorrow night's an 8 o'clock tip too. Valentine's Day, I think KU's really going to be just super excited to come into Stillwater with Galgariba rocking, everyone making a ton of noise. I mean, I can't, I can't wait for the game. I'm so excited to watch Oklahoma State basketball because not only have we played extremely well, but we played extremely well that's dependable and reliable from what it seems over the last seven to eight games. You know, this is not like a fluky deal. I keep coming back to the same thing. We don't play in a play style that is fluky. We don't play in a play style that doesn't travel well. Defense travels. Like, that is one thing we know. Six best defense in the nation, as you're saying, that's incredible. That's something that we can depend on down the stretch. We know we're good at. And unless guys start just absolutely just giving up on plays, we'll be good. And you know who doesn't want to give up on plays is guys who are juniors and seniors with six more games left in the regular season before they're going to graduate, leave, transfer, or do whatever. I mean, John Michael Wright, Caleb Asbury, and Tyreek Smith all playing 15 minutes a game on average through the whole season or more, all transfers. And I've got to think they only wanted to show out, do the best possible, which has got to invigorate the rest of the team. And I'm not saying anyone on the team is, oh my gosh, can you believe that, you know, this guy's sagging off or not? This seems like everyone's bought in with Boynton, which is something I love as well, too. And I don't think goes super noticed amongst the whole entire Oklahoma State fan community is how many guys just on that team love Boynton. He's not getting top 10 recruiting classes year over year because he's not the greatest coach. He's just not getting top 10 recruiting classes. He's getting top 10 recruiting classes every single year because he has guys buy into his plan, his system, his personality, which keeps him coming back, keeps him dedicated, wanting to keep playing harder for him. And yeah, you know what? Like Keelan Boone transferred out of Oklahoma State, hit 30 points the other night, but it's for a school I can't even figure out what the name of it is exactly. I, you know, if I want to go see Pacific play, I'm not sure where they are exactly. And that's no offense to him necessarily. He went to go into a better option for him. I would guess he'll probably try to transfer again to a bigger program, bigger opportunity. But I'll tell you what, this offseason, I was going, my gosh, can you believe we're going to lose Keelan Moon, who was basically our three-point guy, more or less. Then we're also going to lose Ike Likely, who, yeah, he wasn't a shooter whatsoever, but he was definitely a great distributor, great guy to calm down the offense, great, played such good defense. The guy was like, the you know, a linebacker, you know, a la Lou Dort reference here uh, of Oklahoma State basketball, but Lou Dort can shoot. Then you have, of course, Rondell Walker, who lost me young dude on the team, getting some valuable minutes, getting some valuable playing time, but wasn't getting enough playing time that I think you and I saw that would keep him on the roster year over year, keep him super happy. He wanted to see more playing time, and there are already guys ahead of him this year on the roster who are going to take his minutes until he, if he, unless he wanted to wait around another couple of years and then be a senior and maybe make it. All three of those guys I mentioned, Boone, Likely, and Walker, 
are all just, eh, all right, doesn't matter. We don't miss them that much because the transfers we got in are so good. I had no idea a guy, John Michael Wright, who went to a college before Oklahoma State, that I don't even know what division they're in. I don't know what conference they're in. But he has shown out and proven that, you know what, any given night, he can be great. He's 36% from three on the season. And I, I, I can't believe it. Like, I can't believe that we're shooting that well. Um, you, know who's, uh, you know who has the best uh, quiz question here? I, there's no way you get this. But do you know who's the best field goal percentage on the team this season? And there's no way you get this because it's because it's really just a joke of a question, to be honest. Um, I'm guessing we're not including people who've taken like one shot, right? No, I am. That's why it's a joke of a question. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's played in six games, averaged 1.2 minutes. Hmm. I, I do not know. Weston Church, 100% from the field. Get this Weapon. guy in the game. Got to get him in more games. But do you know who has the best three-point percentage on the team this season, though? This is a fun question, and I'm not going to go with any of these guys. I'm going to go with a guy who's playing more than 10 minutes a game at least. That's the best three-point percentage on hmm. the team. I want to say probably not Bryce just because I think he shoots it too much. Like He probably – has more attempts than most guys on the team. But I, I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe because he's, he's shot it well recently. By a small margin, it's him. So Bryce wow. is shooting 38 and a half percent from three this season. Next, John Michael Wright, 36 and a half percent. And then there's not a, and then it's 35 and a half percent for Caleb Asbury and 36 and a half percent for, uh, Woody Newton. So we've we've got we've got four guys on the team who are shooting over thirty five percent from three. It's not something I've been able to say most years with Oklahoma State basketball, especially the past couple. Yeah, I mean we we've got guys who can knock down shots, and that's that just is is incredible. Uh, yeah, it's super fun, super fun to see and kind of know. Oh wait, this might go in versus seeing a maybe a ball that's going to hit off the side of the backboard. Or seeing something that's going to go just completely airball when our guys pull it up from years past. Yeah, I mean, earlier in the season, I was talking a big deal about, oh, you know what we should do? We should really get better at shooting the ball. Oh, I wonder who on the team could help us out with shooting. Oh, wait, the player development coach, Keaton Page, whose nickname is the Pawnee Pistol because he can shoot it so well. Oh, maybe he should help him out. Seems like somebody heard that or that was already in progress or... I guarantee you there's nothing I had to do with it at all. I'm just trying to be funny because at the end of the day, like our, our guys are putting up, I mean, our guys are putting up an absolutely amazing uh, three-point percentage. The only one who's not is Caleb Boone, but he's not taking any. So <laughs> the number's completely skewed. Yeah, I think your point about the play style being one that travels is uh, very good because we're not relying on – OU's shooting 60% against Bama to, to score 90 points. Like that's not how OSU is winning. Um, and so who knows you get to a tournament and maybe you like, there's a game that OSU shoots 50% from three. And it, I mean, they're just draining them from everywhere. And then that's, I mean, that's how you pull off an upset. Um, but they don't need that. I, I think the pokes can win 
um, with defense um, points in the paint and getting 35 to 40 percent from three and it's going to be good enough to beat a lot of teams so if they continue that i it's going to be very fun the next six games and then the big 12 tournament in kansas city to see what they can do and how far they can climb in the brackets yeah well i gotta say we're, we've talked about kansas city talked about the Chiefs. We talked about where Big 12 tournament every year is held. For some reason, it's held in a state that there's no teams playing in. Maybe Missouri wants to come back at some point. I don't know if we take them at this point because their football prowess is just not there. But when it does come to football, we actually do have a championship game every single year, and it's in Arlington, Texas. I want to ask you about OU in Texas officially, this being the last year that we're going to play OU. Last year, Bedlam. And we go out with a winning record against Texas. It's nice as well. Most recently announced, yeah, that this is OU in Texas last year. They agreed to a $100 million buyout between both um, to leave the conference a year earlier than their contract, uh, TV revenue-wise and otherwise uh, would allow them. So, I mean, what are your thoughts here? Are you going to miss Bedlam? Are you going to miss Texas? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's always great to have a rivalry game. Um, and I think OSU-OU is even – even though it's been lopsided recently, um, especially like when we were students, it's still fun. I mean, it's still something you can get up for. It's still uh, – rivalries are always great. So that's going to – it's going to be interesting for Oklahoma State just to see what does that look like in the post-OU Texas era of Big 12. What are they going to – who's going to be kind of the team that they're rival with? But – it, new opportunities are always fun, and one last chance to beat them in Stillwater this year. Um, it's like the fourth to last game of the season, so it's not at the end. It's kind of more towards the middle of, of the conference schedule, so it'll be interesting. <laughs> um, this is not necessarily the OSU team uh, that I would want to be ending this uh, Bedlam series with, but... Um, yeah, we'll see the the new era of the Big 12 will be very interesting with these four teams. Um, and the schedule, the way the Big 12 did the schedule this year um, is interesting, the way they put it together. To get these four teams in, every team is at least facing two of the new ones. Um, but the travel, it, there's some interesting travel to the schedule. Um OSU not facing any Texas team but one, just just Houston. They travel to Houston, and that's the only Texas team they face. That that doesn't make sense, really. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting. This is a very different conference, and once OU and Texas leave, it'll be a very new conference. With I mean, TCU just went to the national championship game. The, the landscape of the conference is changing, for sure. Yeah, I, I honestly can't believe that Texas and OU are leaving. It just seems um, seems odd, because we've been playing Texas in football every single year straight since 96. I was born in 93, so it's been my entire life. Playing OU, I think, around the, I mean, probably much longer. OU have played like 111 times, so I think we've played them like almost every single year, period, since like football existed. And 
the, the biggest difference to me is, is that when Les Miles was the coach at Oakland State, the coach right before Mike Gundy, he he beat OU back to back years, 0203. It was like, okay, well, they're beatable. You know, like, okay, we can do this. And since then, I've always really gotten excited for Bedlam because it's been Bedlam, it's been in state teams, it's a big deal. But I've also like just been really kind of melancholy about it because uh, I feel like we're gonna lose. Like we don't win. We just don't win Bedlam. Um, we don't win in the like the history of Bedlam. I wish I could say we have a much better record before Gundy or before or less, but we we don't. And it's it's really really annoying at that point. Um, on the other hand, here. I got to say, Texas, I will really miss because I'm not sure if you know this, but nine out of the past, um, I'm doing this right here, math-wise, yeah, nine out of the past 14 games, the nine nine out of the past 14 times we played Texas, we beat them. I mean, we beat them nine times since, 20, since 2010. Uh, so I think I'm doing the math right here on, on that one. We beat them for the last time. We'll play them for who knows how long. Right, our non-conference stuff. We've got games scheduled until twenty thirty-three. So non-conference wise, who knows when we'll get to play some of these teams again? We could schedule a team like in three years. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure not of all, not all of our non-conference games have been scheduled, but still, I don't think we're looking at doing that. And Texas beat us in back-to-back years in 2019-2020. Before then, the last time they beat us back-to-back years was in 09-08. And this really just proves to me is that and. Texas beat us like literally from 1998 till 2009. So what this what this really shows to me here is that one Texas is not having their best years of their program ever. That's not anything new. That's old news at this point. The Texas is back joke in air quotes is definitely a joke at this point. More anything else, Patrick, who's went to Texas, who's on the podcast breaking down the whole Big 12 schedule as well, just because I want to get all the perspectives I can, was going. Yeah, you know what? Even if we are ranked top 25, I'm not going to believe it until I see it now. Whereas last year, when I did a Big 12 season preview podcast with them, he thought Texas was going to go 11-1 and and beat Bama. Now, granted, that game was at home. And they almost did, so give him credit. But that, there's definitely a shift in perception, at least. And at least maybe Patrick's now a little like, you know what? Calvin's going to call me out on it if I say Texas can go 11-1, so I'm not going to be that bold, at least on his own podcast. But... Gundy has flipped the narrative against Texas. He really has. And I think that is a huge deal when it comes down to it. Oklahoma State only has, has only beaten Texas 11 times ever. And the last, I mean, the, the games that we've won is we won one game against Texas on in 1944. We won a game in 1997. And then we've won nine since 2010. Like, the... Gundy has flipped the script against Texas. It used to be every single year I'd go to Big 12 football against my dad. It was the the weekend between my parents' divorce where I'd be like, oh, I can't wait to go. We're going to see Texas. They'll be close this time. Dad will be really, really close. And a lot of these games are really close. 08, Texas beat us by four. 07, Texas beat us by three. You know, I mean, go back a little bit here farther, too, and it's closer-ish. I mean, 02, Texas beat us by two. But then Oklahoma State just started figuring out Texas. Gundy figured him out or did whatever he needed to do to just win the games. Because last year, the Oklahoma State football season did not go down the way anyone wanted it to. I mean, down the stretch, it was just abysmal. We were, you know, we were seven and one to start out the season, and then we didn't win another game the rest of the year. You know, we lost six straight. Well, the one win we had there 
that was the bright spot right after we lost to TCU in double overtime is against Texas at home. And that's something that I'll remember at least and go, you know what? All right, like I am sad we're Texas leaving because we had their number. We have had their number for a while. Yeah, I think it shows Texas since their stretch of two back-to-back Rose Bowls, beat Michigan, beat USC in the national championship back-to-back years. Since then, they really have not have, have not been the same program that they were pre-Vince Young. They went to the 08 national championship, lost to Bama, Colt McCoy gets injured. After Colt McCoy even, they have just been scrambling for a quarterback every year. Just, oh, this is the next guy. This is the next Colt. No, it's not this guy. Okay, this is the next Colt McCoy. Oh, no, it's not this guy. So I think the 9 of 14 really shows the difference in the two programs. Oklahoma State has shot up with Gundy kind of raising expectations every year, saying, no, we're getting into bowl games. We're going to compete for a New Year's Six Bowl. We're going to compete for a Big 12 championship. And Texas is kind of, they've had the expectations, but have really been under um, performing year in and year out. Um, it kind of sucks that OSU doesn't play them in the final year, but looking at Texas schedule, it kind of makes sense. Some of the games that they did, they want Texas to play the Texas teams. So they go to Baylor they have to play one of the new teams. So they go to Houston. That's a great, I mean, Austin and Houston are not very far to, from each other. They have to play OU. So they got OU in Dallas. They got to play TCU in, in state team just came off the national championship game. Let's see what, what that game's about. I love that Texas and Texas tech are playing on black Friday to end the seat, the, the regular season. That was a, always a fun Texas used to play AM um, at the end of the year on right after Thanksgiving. Now they've played Texas Tech a couple times. Um, so it I can I can understand why OSU and Texas aren't playing. It kind of sucks though. I, I think that would have been um, a fun one. Well, actually, this year might not have been a fun one because I have reservations about how good OSU is, and I think you do too. And Texas actually could be good. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's just going to be a very um, interesting and different big 12. Um, and I think this season is going to be fun, but man, yeah. So it is crazy to look at like BYU schedule and how much they have to travel to get to uh, the rest of the conference. Um, be, so Listen to this. BYU in back-to-back weeks have to travel to Austin, which is not close. Provo to Austin, not close. If you didn't know the the U.S. geography, and then the very next week they have to travel to Morgantown. I mean, they are just making BYU get on planes and go. My goodness, Austin and then Morgantown—that's rough. Yeah. Also, BYU has to go back-to-back weeks. They've got to go. Two Arkansas and two KU. I understand that's, I mean, it's not the same travel distance, but still two away games that they don't, that are not close to Utah. I mean, mm-hmm. lots of checks, Kansas and, you know, Kansas, Arkansas are not are close to each other. I don't know. Maybe they just hang out for a week somewhere in between. I don't know how at this point we're talking about these guys are college athletes, though, if they're doing that. And then they've got to go to TCU 
grand that's after a buy and then they get tech at home but then yeah i i, I can't imagine byu is going oh my gosh what a cupcake schedule granted i have a lot of reservations about the oklahoma state team and we're talking about OU leaving talking about you know last bedlam i really really hope alan bowman is just awesome i don't see it happening though i'm very skeptical at best but the worst thing I can do as an Oklahoma State fan right now is go, oh, woe is me. The season's over before we even want to see one snap. So I'm going to hold out hope as long as I can. And then when if we lose 48 nothing to K-State or something, I'm going to go, what in the world is going on in Stillwater? And be absolutely shocked. But until that game last year, I was like, oh, we're, we're decent. We're all right. Then that game happens and start kind of rethinking the whole season. And then... There's the deal where, okay, Spencer Sanders was coming back or not. I don't know. There's the deal where, okay, we don't play another Texas team besides the new Texas team that's joining from the state of Texas, at least in Houston. That seems a little odd. I would rather, I would like to play Texas again because, like, I just went all whole rant about, we have their number. I'd like to play TCU, although maybe not this year, but then again, they've got a brand new quarterback coming in. So who knows? All things being equal, maybe we'd be a decent fight against them. And I think we have a decently easy schedule at the end of the day. Comparatively to how our schedule could be, we could be playing Texas, which has two five-star quarterbacks who are some of the top quarterbacks ever ranked, ever. Top five ranked quarterbacks in the history of rankings are going to be battling out to be starting for Texas. Now, one of them, we beat in Stillwater last year. He got happy feet and we ended up winning. But we won by seven and he was injured some of the game. So, kind of okay that we're passing on that one. I... I We'll say I think Iowa State shouldn't be too hard, you know, but it's an away game for us, so that won't be too easy. West Virginia shouldn't be too hard, honestly. We don't really lose to West Virginia as a football program since we started playing them, but it's an away game, so eh, I don't know. Then UCF and Gus Malzahn, I'm not sure what's going on all with their program. And the same thing with Houston. They have Dana Holgerson. Those are two guys who just have great offensive minds who, you know what, honestly, like, we could lose like 40 to 34, we could lose 40 to 14, or we could come in and just absolutely grind out a win. I just do not see this Oklahoma State team as it's configured right now with having Ollie Gordon be the star guy who's a returning sophomore, not a returning, you know, junior or senior with great stats the year before at running back. And Jaden Nixon being the two guys where we're looking at bright spots on the team and then going, oh, I think we'll be great. Like, when you have two guys who haven't really proven themselves being the hopeful bright spots, that truly shows the signs of a rebuild and not a reload. And so I'm very worried about this Oklahoma State team, very skeptical, but I'm also not going to be, oh, woe is me, the season's over before it starts, and be sad about it before I see a snap. I'm going to hold out hope as long as I can. I'm just really hoping at the end of the day, the game at Arizona State is competitive and close and fun to watch because that'll be the true first test we have you know, of the season in week two. And then going to Ames, going to Iowa State. See, sucks again that we got screwed with this early bye week game, uh, early bye week. But oh well. Um, I mean, I'll say the other nice thing here about the schedule is that our last game of the season is at home, and against and it's against BYU. Because honestly, if it was against OU, I'd go, all right, just put a loss right there, right now. That's it. Whatever. Move on. Because the last game of the season at home, the last time we play OU for how many? Who knows how many years? Going in the future, I would count as a loss. But in fact, the last time we play OU is at, a ho at home, but it's not Thanksgiving weekend, and it's actually earlier in the month. 
okay, all right, you know, we'll see. Who knows? OU may just really fall apart again at the end of the season. I'm not sure. I hope they do, but I don't see it happening. I don't see OU having back-to-back bad years where we finished with a better record than them. And that's also we finished a better record when they – or finished the same record, excuse me. But that's also when we went both went 7-6. and six. I just don't see OU having that year again. I could easily see looking at the schedule here of going, I think we make a bowl game. But I'm not, I'm not confident enough to go that we win any more than eight games. I'm not confident to put anything close to that, right? Yeah, the the schedule lends itself to OSU being a team with question marks. Mike Gundy trying to kind of figure out what he has exactly and put things together. Um, because, like you said, the road games are okay. Some of the teams you have at home – much rather have them at home than on the road. You get Kansas State at home coming off a Big 12 championship. You get a kind of up-and-coming Kansas team. We don't know what they'll be, but, man, they were putting stuff together last year. You get them at home. You get Cincinnati, who has had good seasons um, in past years. Don't know exactly what they'll be. You get them at home. You get Bedlam at home. You get BYU to end the season at home. So, Really, the, the the schedule lends itself to if you can put the pieces together and kind of figure things out, you can make a bowl, bowl game if you're winning the games that, that you should winning your home games. I don't know if I trust that they can do it, but I think OSU got the good end of the deal with the schedule. Hey, I, I'm very shocked that OU's not going from one week playing at BYU and the next week not, you know, isn't going to at West Virginia or Texas is doing the same. I am pretty surprised on that at the end of the day because TV money for what it may be, that wouldn't be great, like network viewership, I'm sure. But then again, why not kind of stick it mm-hmm. to OU and Texas a little bit there last year in the conference? Because I got to say, well, the first time I talked about the schedule here, the schedule came out and it was, OU and Texas can't leave. They're not going to be able to buy out. They're going to stay. And then a week later, it's, okay, they're both they're both gone mm-hmm. a year early. So everything can change all the time. And I would have loved to see the Big 12 schedule makers, for whatever reason possible, just go, you know what? Yeah, we're not going to let OU and Texas get out scot-free. We're going to definitely stick it to them a little bit. And I will say, like, OU's last game of the season being a home game, Oh, you know what? Good for them, but it's to TCU. Like, they don't have an easy schedule at the end of the day. Uh, Texas, as I just went on a rant about, like, they won't be bad necessarily. And then they've got, you know, they've got to go to Cincinnati. They've got to go to Lawrence, which, you know, eh, probably not horrible, but they've got to go to BYU. Like, that's not great. I don't know if I'm OU. I'm like, oh, cool. We get to go to two of the new teams. We have to go play at their place. Like, that's great. I mean, I can't imagine that I'd want to play in Provo, Utah in November 18th. You know, that doesn't sound like a ton of fun at the end of the day if I'm an, if I'm a you know an OU fan or just really even player at that point. And then Texas is scheduled here. So they play at Alabama because they have the home and home. Then they got to go to Baylor. And, you know, I think you broke it down extremely well. Their schedule here is one of those where I'm like, man, Texas really just – they could win the nat- they could win the national championship this year if they draw play their cards right and absolutely just you know maybe only lose a game because the games they play that are away games are Alabama so 
yeah, of course that's bad, but it's the second game of the season. If Alabama does what Alabama should do and they lose by a touchdown, it won't matter. Texas will still be in the top 10 in the country no matter what the rest of the season, right? Then at at Baylor, the OU game in you know, the Cotton Bowl, then they have a bye week right for the OU game to get healthy before they go to Houston where I got to think that stadium should be is going to be mostly Texas fans. As you know, someone who's grown up in the state of Texas, it's mostly Texas fans if you had to say the majority, right? Like the whole state as a whole is more Texas fans than maybe even Dallas Cowboy fans. I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn here. Yeah, uh, like yeah, the biggest fandom of any one team of any sport. Yeah, it's is definitely Texas. Texas and then Texas A&M just because okay. they're two of the biggest and they just have alumni bases. Houston yeah, not a lot of people are Houston Cougar fans. I mean, they they have like if you are, you're you're a, a strong fan, but the overall numbers are going to be Texas and then Texas A and M. And I would like to say I think people are fans of Cougars, just maybe not Houston Cougars at the end of the day, you know. So, you know, I mean, be with a bit of May there. Um, the animal. I'm I'm not talking about any other term here. Obviously. Um, and then yeah, going to TCU probably again. A lot of Texas alums there, especially if they're doing all right. And then to Iowa State, not great, but the at Iowa State game is really the only tough road game of the season besides, of course, Alabama. Like, you broke down the whole Texas schedule real well, and I just cannot believe that they basically get out of the Big 12 by playing all of their away games besides two, including their non-conference, in the state of Texas. Like, that to me is incredible. Um, Ames, Iowa, November... No one wants to play there either. I will say that's going to be tough. We know from Oklahoma State fandom in 2011 specifically, that week into the season, you don't want to play at Iowa State. Just for Texas, at least not on a Friday night. So they've got that going for them. Is there any other thing that here that, that took it to you as far as just being very odd from the whole Big 12 schedules to kind of wrap things up? Um, I was kind of hoping that we would get uh, a BYU-Baylor rematch because they played mm. this year in non-conference, and that was a really good game. I was kind of hoping we'd get that. Um, I'm circling October 21st when TCU travels to uh, Bill Snyder Family Stadium in Manhattan, Kansas, to take on the Kansas State Wildcats Big 12 Championship rematch. That will be interesting. Um, obviously, we'll know a lot about TCU at that point if they are the same team that they were or if kind of having to retool maybe they're not as good um so it's later in the conference slate we'll kind of know a lot about both of those teams um coming in and then i'm i'm just excited for kansas i i really want to see can they kind of continue the momentum that they had last year because they have some interesting games they play illinois in their second non-conference game it's home. Then they go to Nevada. Um, and then they have homes against BYU and UCF and K-State all this year. So you're, you know, there's there's some interesting, interesting things there. Can they win the uh the Sunflower Bowl against K-State at home? Get them coming to Lawrence. Um I they were a fun team last year. I'm just I'm excited uh to see kind of if they can keep it up. And then I did see, so OU, Dylan Gabriel hosts his former team, UCF in Norman. Mm. So that'll be a, that'll be a fun kind of reunion game for him. Does a, well, I guess the tribute video wouldn't happen because this is in Norman, but do you think 
the uh, do you think Dylan Gabriel goes out to midfield, you know, and goes, it was such a pleasure to play it for you, coach. Wait, this is my coach that I played for. It's a different coach completely. But still, when I, I really enjoyed the UCF program, couldn't wait to leave. Do you think he goes out there and shakes hands, says something under his breath like that at all? Yeah, probably not. Probably not. Um, Maybe he wears like a UCF like warm up hoodie or something, you know, really just draw as much social media attention as possible. Could definitely see that happening. Um, I like the TCU aspect though. Sunny Dykes here too without Max Duggan. Are they good or were they good for a year? That'd be the big deal. Also, when you lose a game, any game at all, 65 to 7, kind of kind of takes the wind out of your sails. You know, I mean, it's hard to come back from that. Now, it's against the reigning national champion who just won back-to-back years and was completely dominant in almost every single game they played the entire season except for against Ohio State. So, I don't know. Maybe TCU's like, you know what? Like, we were never really in the game. Um, you know, to, to quote uh, Dom Toretto, they never really had their car even. But I don't know. Uh, TCU, be interesting to see how they come back here. And then with KU as the last point, I totally agree. Jaden McDaniels, before he went down with an injury, that KU team was really good. I mean, they they were they were surprising a lot of people. Uh, is it Brian Lapole? I think it is. If does they say his last name? Um, yeah. May, may, could have that pronunciation wrong, or could have the whole entire name wrong completely. So sorry if I do. But KU probably seen a little bit little bit of uh, some resurgence there in ticket sales for the football program. At least they should be, just because at the end of the day, it's not an it's not the easiest schedule possible. Granted, because like. You know, they've, they've got to go, you know, to Stillwater, which they don't normally win at. The last time they were there was our homecoming. We just absolutely trounced them. But then again, they won last year when they played us at their place, and that wasn't really even that much of a game for them. They won 37 to, like, 16, I want to say. And then KU having to go to Cincinnati, not a, not a really far road game, but not close. And then to Iowa State, not a really far road game, but always tough as well, too. So, you know. KU, for being for me, I'd love to see them knock off Texas just one more time. Love to see them send out Texas with their, their last possible uh, last possible time. Especially if you're a Texas fan, you've got to go, well, at least KU is good this year, right? So I don't know how you're going to explain that to somebody in 10 years from now whenever KU is probably not that great again, but still. Um, it, it, it's a fun deal overall. Um, I will say, so obviously Texas going to Alabama is probably the best non-conference game in the – in the whole conference, but West Virginia opens the year going to Penn state. That, that, that there's a lot to that. That just is very intriguing to me. Well, and uh, I'll leave us out on this note here. Um, Texas tech hosts Oregon second week of the season. I'm not sure when that happened. That definitely flew under the radar whenever that home and home was announced or something. Cause I cannot imagine a ton of, Oregon fans are just dying to go to and visit Lubbock, Texas in September. They had to go, wait a second, Lubbock, Texas, it should be hot here in the winter, right? Wait, we're going in the summer? Oh, not a chance at all. <laughs> can't believe they'll actually be able to make it out there. Also, I can't think a lot of Oregon alumni is just going, you know what's easy to travel to? Lubbock, Texas. It's only six hours from Oklahoma City. Is it almost? It's probably the same almost distance from dallas there's no direct travel route from amarillo just down south that doesn't connect you know necessarily um and now you know what i will say personal story here shout out to uh city of lubbock for pulling me over in my dad's car 
when I entered the state and when I left the state. So it's for the tent being too dark because I don't know. It was legal to tent the car that dark in Oklahoma because of the hot summer. Not legal to tent the dark that in the state of Texas. But you know what? They're Oklahoma plates. So I don't know. Seemed like a weird move from the uh, Texas uh, Highway Patrolman. But with that being said, Troll, thanks so much for joining here on the latest episode of the CJ Tour. Please follow at the CJ Tour on Twitter and Instagram for more. And we will catch you guys again soon.